Let's pray as we begin. Father God, you are good. We thank you for the joy of children. We thank you uh, to just for the joy of gathering as a family to worship you and praise you, Lord. And I, I need you, Lord. As I bring this message, I pray that, Lord, you would forgive my sin, that you would, uh, even as a weak vessel, that you would use me, Lord, uh, and that you would open all of our hearts and minds to understand your way, Lord. So we give this time to you. Pray that you would do with it as you will, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We live in a world that's just packed with information. There's information, all kinds of information, and especially in the last, in the access that we have to that information, especially in the last 15 years or so, uh, with, with digital technology, we have just an amazing amount of information. The year 2002 could be seen as sort of the tipping point in our world where the amount of digital information and the amount of sort of analog and written information uh, tip, the balance tipped towards digital and over the next five years, you know, 90 something percent of our, all of the information in the world is uh, in digital form. In the year 2007, human beings successfully sent 1.9 zettabytes of information through broadcast technology like television and GPS and, and things like that. So that's the equivalent. So 1.9 zettabytes, that's the equivalent of every person in the world reading 174 newspapers every day. That's a lot of information. A zettabyte, if you're not familiar, is a, uh, you know, a, a unit of digital information is a byte. A zettabyte is its multiplication by the power of, uh, by the seventh power of a thousand, or 10 to the 21st. So it's, it's one sextillion bytes, essentially. Um, so think about it this way. The highest resolution video in the world is 8K high definition resolution. And you know that data, you know, video takes a lot of data because when your kids take your phone and they stream a video and you forget, they, over, they go over on, your, on their data usage. Or in my case, my father, will stream and he forgets he's not on a Wi-Fi and uses up all the data. So anyway, you know that video takes a lot of data. One zettabyte of data is the equivalent of eight million years of ultra-high definition video. What's your point? My point is this. There is so much data out there, so much information. And information and technology, those are good things. Uh, one author wrote, we live in a world where economies, political freedom, cultural growth increasingly depend on our technolo technological capabilities. That these, these, these are good things that help us grow and be organized as people. But there's also, with all this information and all this data, there's sort of a counter, and all the technology, there's sort of a counter movement of people who are saying, look, I've had enough. Like, I just need to get off the grid for a couple days. I need to turn the device off, or I'm deleting my profile to whatever social media account, or uh, just people just having to stop because it's too much of a flood of communication and of information, and it becomes overwhelming. But this is what people, this is what humans do. We, we have, this is not a new, this is a new issue in terms of the volume of information in the world and then a volume of data. But, you know, the European Renaissance, they were all worried about what about all these books that are being written and how do we, 
you know, how do we manage and navigate all this information? And they, but people were able to do it by coming up with new indexing and cataloging systems. And we, as people today, have computers that can compute this information and store it and sort it in, in, in very uh, in very quick ways. So uh, I won't. I have some numbers. I won't throw them to you, but. So we're teaching computers how to manage our information. Then what do you do? Like how do you teach a computer to be smarter? You get all this information. Now we're talking about things like artificial intelligence, and then how close can a machine come to, like how close can humans and machines be to one another? And these are all kind of very fascinating issues with information. Here's the problem. So artificial intelligence. I, was, I had the privilege to meet with a group of uh, 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 this, fellow, this learning fellowship I'm part of, to meet with a woman named Rosalind Picard at MIT, and she was the head of artificial intelligence at MIT. And she said, it, it, she, her whole project was to help computers understand human emotion. So if, computer, if a computer or robot could understand human emotion, it could then respond to it and, and process information. She said, Machines and robots and computers are very good at following rules, but they're not real good at making decisions. And here's, like, here's my point, for real. Information is not knowledge. So we have a ton of information, and there's a good amount of knowledge. But information is not knowledge, and knowledge is not wisdom. So in a world where there's just information everywhere, there seems to be a deep lack of wisdom. And we as people need wisdom to answer the questions of life or to even understand life. Questions like, how do I achieve my life goals? Or what is a good life goal? How would I even set a life goal? How can I get a friendship back on track or a relationship on track? Why is it so hard to trust God sometimes in certain situations? How can I make a difference in the world with, with my job or in my family? How do I raise children? How do I foster my marriage with somebody who's so different than me? And how do I manage my finances? And how do I, what are the best ways to do these things? We need wisdom. With those types of questions, we want the best information, not just all the information. And we want advice from somebody who, who has experience. We want advice that's been tested over time. And this is what we get in the book of Proverbs. God's wisdom, God the creator of all things, giving us his mind and his wisdom that we can navigate life. And we can, we can act in ways that are wise and not foolish. And so we're calling the series Everyday Wisdom because we're going to take this wisdom from here and wherever God brings us in any given week, whether it's at work, in your home, in your neighborhood, whatever God puts before you this week, whatever joys or whatever struggles or difficult things you face this week, that you can apply God's wisdom to that. As you do that, life begins to make sense. We can make sense of difficulty. We can make sense of the, the positive things. We can make sense of, of all these things. And we can avoid pitfalls. And, and as we do that, we are demonstrating God's wisdom to people who see our lives into the world around us that also needs God's wisdom. So when we display God, it gives him glory. It makes him look good. 
as we, as we live out his wisdom. And, and God is glorified above all else. And ultimately, that's the goal, is to glorify our creator God. So that's what we're trying to find as we look at these words together throughout the summer. Ancient words of God's wisdom. Now, chapter here we come to chapter 3. And there's this introductory and admonition. It says, my son, don't forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart. I'm just on the back of the bulletin. For they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favor and a good name in the sight of God and man. This The admonition here is pay attention. Don't forget these wise words. Uh, don't just ignore them. You know, forgetting in, in, the, in the biblical sense, they don't forget this wisdom. Forgetting isn't just a mental thing. Okay, here's God's instruction, here's God's wisdom, and we kind of forget to do it or we don't do it. That's not just mental, that's a moral issue. This is, uh, we can forget to do things that we just don't like to do. Things that are hard. And you, if you have little kids or if you've ever encouraged them to do something like, say, uh, clean their room or pick something up or take out the trash or whatever you ask a child to do and they, they just forget, oh, I forgot. Well, I asked you four times. This is, not a, this is not a mental thing. This is a moral thing now. This is a, this is a thing now. Um, but we do that. So this admonition, don't forget the teaching. You've got to pay attention. And then what follows here throughout the rest of chapter 3. This Old Testament scholar named Bruce Watke, he said, Proverbs chapter 3 is a finer education than you will get in most colleges and universities. Proverbs chapter 3 is just a beautiful education, but we need to not just read it, but we need to bind it to our hearts. We need to make it uh, part of, bind them and write them on our hearts. We need to make it part of our nature to live this way of life. And then in verses 5 through 12, we're going to look at here, there's four ways to be wise, particularly in our relationship to God. That's our primary relationship. So the rest of Proverbs, you know, we're going to talk about how to uh, interact with a neighbor, interact with family, with children, uh, with marriage, all these different relationships. But the primary relationship with God, four ways to be wise. Trust, fear, give, accept. Let's just, let's walk through each of these. With each of these commands, there's a blessing that goes with it. So first one is trust. Trust in the Lord, Proverbs 3, 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. It's a very famous passage of scripture. Uh, you might, you see it written you know, on a magnet or on a t-shirt or a poster. And Typically, when we come across these kind of famous passages from Scripture, I get a little frustrated because sometimes these verses that we write down and we, you know, we put them on the fridge or you put it on a sticky note, they don't always mean what you think they mean. So you know, Jeremiah 29, 11 is a beautiful verse. You should write it down and memorize it. But it doesn't, if you read it in context, it may not mean exactly what you hope it means. Um, uh, Philippians 4.13, again, is another one of those verses. You can look them up after if you're not familiar. But another one of those verses that when you read it in context, eh, it may not mean exactly what you want it to mean. This one, 
means exactly what it says. This one, write it down, get the t-shirt, memorize it, cr uh, cross-stitch this verse, and hang it on the wall of your house, sticky tape it to your dashboard. This means what it means. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him or acknowledge him. Right, better, the older translation is better. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Start the cross stitch today. <laughs> the, Pastor Bill Hybel says this is the crowning proverb of all proverbs. That we're to trust in the Lord with all of our heart. This is that the heart is the, the seat of your soul. It's the center of your spiritual being. This is absolute obedience and surrender in all your life that I'm going to trust God's way, not my own. This is an obedient self. We get so frustrated in life and we get frustrated with God and so, oh, well, God isn't blessing me or God isn't, life isn't going the way I want, but we are not living submitted in obedient lives to the Lord. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. How do you do this? Because this is a big, this is one of those big picture things, and it's hard to know. But okay, I, I want to. I want to just trust God with my whole heart. How does it happen? It happens step by step, day by day, moment to moment decisions. The same way you learn to trust if you're, if you're dating somebody the way you learn to trust a boyfriend or girlfriend or you trust your spouse. You meet them, you maybe trust them enough to meet with them, to share your personal information, your phone number with somebody, you trust them maybe on that level. But you get to know somebody and you trust them more and you start to share uh, more personally about your life and your joys and your struggles and, and you, you trust deeper. And uh, In a marriage, you know, there's a, a commitment to love and to trust one another, and it, that, that, it grows deeper and more meaningful as you live it out in step by step. Same thing with the Lord. We can trust in Him more and more as we just see Him prove Himself faithful in those small decisions in the day-to-day -day things of life. And then it becomes, as it builds on itself, it becomes a great big thing. Imagine this. We serve a God who is asking us to trust Him He's saying, let me prove myself faithful to you. Let me prove it. And you'll trust me, and then I'll prove myself faithful, and you'll trust me more, and I'll prove myself faithful over and over and over. Not always the way we would want it, not always the way we would have planned it, but as we trust him, and as we trust his way, he proves himself trustworthy. And then lean not on your own understanding. If God is God, if God is all-knowing and all-powerful, and if God created me and created you and created all that we see and all that we don't see, if God is God, then he's going to know a lot more about life than I do. To state the obvious. And I'd be a fool to ignore the opportunity to have access to God's wisdom. And uh, I... I remember it. I remember a moment in my life, I was 19 years old in the basement of the house I grew up in. I had been living in the basement of the house. and I remember a moment where I said, God, I'm, I've tried this. I'm trying to do this. And I'm done. It's just not working. Fine. You do it. 
Fine, we'll try your way, God. How foolish. And how long, and again, it wasn't an overnight decision that, you know, then I just trusted God fully. But from that, I remember that as a, a sort of a milestone in my spiritual, my, my, my spiritual life, actually my whole life, to walk with the Lord and, and follow his way. And this is how God works, isn't it? When we just get to the end of ourselves and say, I can't do it. This is the good news of Jesus Christ. When all of our efforts to connect with God and to, to earn God's favor, when we realize we just can't do it, we say, I repent, I turn from that. I'm done, Lord. I need you to see. I need what Jesus accomplished on the cross. I couldn't do that. I tried, Lord, and he, but you have provided. And it's his grace that he gives his wisdom, that he gives his love, that he gives his forgiveness. This is how God works. So we trust in him, not our own understanding. And in all of our ways, we acknowledge him. We, that word, it's translated submit. It's really more notice or observe. It's a very, it's a kind of a broad word, but in all that we do, we see him and see what he's doing. In all of our ways, not in most of the areas of our life, but in you know, family, education, career, finance, friendships, all in all your ways, acknowledge him. And here's the blessing. He will make your paths straight. He will make your paths smooth. Now, that doesn't mean that you will be uh, comfortable and popular and thin. Uh, it, it, it doesn't mean that God just satisfies all your wishes. But it does mean that life can be lived in a, with direction and purpose that is good. Where you have focus and fulfillment because you are seeking God's way in all your ways, acknowledging his way. And the paths become smooth. So that's trust. That's the first thing. Memorize that verse. Write it down for sure. Second thing is fear. We'll, 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 we'll blast through these. Fear the Lord. Verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord. Shun evil. This will bring health to your body, nourishment to your bones. Fear the Lord. And, and Brian, Pastor Brian talked about this last week, so I won't go into a ton of depth. But apart from Jesus Christ, we, we should really, there would be just a much deeper fear and almost a terror of God. If God holds all of life and death and you are a, a sinful, broken human being, this would be terrifying that God is holy and I am unholy and he just, he could extinguish my life like that. But we know that God is gracious and we know that he is loving and patient with us. And so we are not terrified because he took on human flesh and showed us his love and demonstrated it by laying down his life on the cross on our behalf. But in that, we sometimes lose how powerful God is and how great he is. And we need to start our lives by fearing him. The opposite of fearing him is being wise in your own eyes. Again, thinking you have all the answers, trying it your way. Most people, even on a spiritual journey, and if you know people who are just exploring faith or exploring Jesus or trying to find their spiritual path, they often start with their own wisdom. What am I looking for in God? Got into a conversation just two nights ago with a stranger, and we were camping with our family, and we need to, they loaned us a piece of equipment that I had 
broken ours. And they, so they, they loaned us equipment, and I returned it, and they, we got into a conversation, they find out I'm a pastor, and then uh, they started firing questions, faith questions. But all it started was, here's the kind of God I want. Is that the kind of God you teach? And if you do, then maybe I'd like your church, and if you don't, then I probably wouldn't like your church. Turns out, long conversation, the guy had actually been to our church before, years and years ago, a friend invited him, I think it was somebody who was dating him. The details got a little sketchy there, but he, he really enjoyed it. But it, the point is, they were starting with their set of expectations, and does your God meet my expectations? But that's not the God we teach. We teach. If God is God, he exists, and we can only know him if he reveals himself, and we submit our expectations, we, we surrender them, and we trust his way. Not wise in our own eyes, but fearing the Lord and trusting him with the reverence. That Here's the blessing. The blessing is health. Verse 8. This, is, this will bring health to your body, literally to your navel, to your insides, uh, and nourishment to your bones, literally your marrow, like deep inside your bones. And this is physical language, but it's talking about spiritual health, essentially, using a sort of a body image to describe a whole life, health, and well-being. But it starts with fear. So we trust, we fear. Thirdly, we give. Look at verse 8. Honor, uh, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, the first fruits of, first fruits of all your crops. Then you'll, your barns will be filled with overflowing, your vats will be brim over with new wine. Why generosity? If this is so central, if this wisdom and, and trusting God is so central, why generosity right up so important? And we always have to remember that generosity is not something that God wants from us. It's something that God wants for us. That generosity is for you. It is for your good to be generous to God with what you have because it acknowledges right away who's in control, who is the source of life, who is the source of all that you have and all these blessings. And we return them first back to God and that, gives, that puts us in a posture with all that we have to acknowledge Him. It's based on gratitude. It's based in faith. That's why it's so important. And there's a lot of Proverbs on wealth and generosity, and we'll probably get to a bunch of those. Money was so important to Jesus. He, why was money important to Jesus? Why, did he always, why was he teaching frequently about money and about wealth? Again, this is a key to wisdom. If we can be wise with our finances and trusting the Lord with that, uh, you know, not only does it keep us from the troubles of debt and foolish handling of our money, but it's just, it, it points us to, to trust. And here's the blessing that he will bless you. There'll be, you'll have enough. You know, you'll have more than enough here, the image, barns filled and the wine vats overflowing. And real quick, one of the problems with Proverbs is that the Proverbs is wisdom, but it's not necessarily promises. So you say, well, if I give the first fruits of all that I have to the Lord, so if I, let's say, I tithe, I give a tenth of all that I have to the church, to the work of the Lord, uh, then I'll have more than enough. You know, I'll have more blessing. And, but what if I give 10% of all that I have in my first fruits and I, I don't get this great, you know, the barns aren't, aren't overflowing, the, the wine vats aren't bubbling over. Again, this is, this is God's wisdom. It's not promises. So it's, these are... You know, of course, we've seen people who trust the Lord, but they become very ill and they become sick and die. 
we, people who trust the Lord and they have family problems or financial problems. They, it's, not that, it's not that formulaic. Again, it's about trust. It's about fearing the Lord. It's a general way of life and a pattern that we find over and again that as we do these things, the blessing does flow. So we give. So we trust, we fear, we give, and we accept. Verse 11, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline. Do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father of the son he delights in. Discipline here is about instruction. When we, when, we, when we face troubles in life, God can teach us through those things. It's not just because, it's not that God is just punishing you. God is forgiving you of your sin. Jesus Christ paid for them on the cross. Now when you face hardship, it's about God refining you. It's about God showing you how to trust him. Not all suffering is just because you've sinned or failed. Now sometimes you see that when people live a foolish life and there, there comes consequences of that. But even in that, as we seek him, he's good to us. He's gentle with us. God teaches us. It's a sign of our sonship. It's a sign of the fact that we are children of God, that he walks with us through those things. And the blessing here is his love. God loves you so much that he was, he's willing to, he loves you so much he's willing to bring pain and suffering into your life because he cares about you. If verses 9 and 10 is kind of remember God in your prosperity, verses 11 and 12 is remember God in your adversity. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And this brings, look at verses one, verse, back to verse 1 here. Or verse 2. This will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. So if, if anybody ever asks you, is, is your pastor one of those prosperity teachers? Say, Yes. Prosperity and health. And this is how he taught it. He said, you've got to trust God with everything. You've got to be willing to accept discipline. You've got to be generous. And, and you've got to um, fear the Lord. That'll sound a little different than the other prosperity. But what blessing as we, as we seek and as we walk in his wisdom. So here's the question. What, what, so, and I can't answer this for you. What step of trust do you need to take today? Again, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That whole life trust is going to come through those little steps day to day. What is God calling you to trust him with today? My prayer for you is this week that you would be able to, to take that small step, to trust him, and that he would prove himself trustworthy for you. Amen.